Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 990. Don't ever compromise on your standards of cars. And that is something we hold very dear and very true to. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am a revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from New York, Chris Bruno. Hey, Chris, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up and ready. All right. I'll try to keep it between the guardrails. Chris Bruno is the co-founder and CEO of Rally Road, a free app that allows members to invest in blue chip collector automobiles. Rally Road is a marketplace for making investments in classic cars the same as the way you would buy stocks. Their mission is to democratize alternative asset investing by providing access, liquidity, and transparency to markets that have traditionally been available to a select few. Chris is a serial entrepreneur with extensive experience in financing, managing, and scaling venture-backed media companies. He co-founded Network of One, a data-driven content investment platform focused on the YouTube marketplace, and Health Guru, a leading health information video platform for the web. And along with his co-founders, Max Niedereth Ostolf, Ostolt, if I've said Max's name, I apologize, Max, and Rob Petrozo, Rally Road allows investors to put their money to work in assets they are very passionate about. Something us here at Cars, yeah, we are very passionate about cars, so you're in the right place, Chris. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment, share a little bit more about your career, your business, and of course, a very obvious passion for automobiles? Oh, well, th- thank you very much. I think that was a tremendous intro, and you did actually all the hard work, so I'm not sure how much more <laughs> there is left to say in this case. But yes, my, my background is always, people ask me, I usually say I work with startups, mm-hmm. and it's an easier way to do what you just did in, uh, in a shorter format. But I've always been passionate about creating things. My career started in, in venture capital, so investing in early stage businesses. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really a tremendous opportunity to sort of refine my understanding of the process and really become understanding and empathetic of what it takes to be a true entrepreneur and to to work your way through the process of creating something new. So everything I've done from that point to today has been a lead up to have the opportunity to create Rally Road, which is something that connects my love of cars with, you know, the knowledge I've accumulated along the way and with a group of people uh, like Rob and Max that you rightfully pointed out who uh, share those passions with me. So it's been a a really great ride so far. Absolutely. And I understand you three guys have been friends for decades, right? Literally, more, more, more years than not. <laughs> uh, so Rob and I grew up together in, in Brooklyn, New York. We went to high school together. Uh, he's arguably the most talented person I've ever met. Really a creative genius with just a very diverse background in music and startups and tech and finance. And he's sort of the creative director behind uh, our mission. Mm-hmm. So we've always been speaking about this concept uh, and about startups and tech in general, and always wanted to do something together. And this felt like the right time in our careers and in our lives to do it. And then Max is, is also a, a friend from, from college, actually, up at Williams College uh, in Massachusetts. And we we uh, known each other, basically been best friends since uh, we got to school up there. His background is really in true finance, uh, working at Barclays as an investment banker. He brings uh, real professionalism and stability to our corporation. He's done all of the hard work uh, with the legal and regulatory side to get all of this approved. So he's also just sort of the 
you know, the German banker in the room that keeps us calm and stable, which is a, <laughs> which is a really nice asset to have in an early stage company. No doubt. I apologize to Max. I totally butchered his last name. Would you tell us in the proper way to pronounce that fine German name, his last name? Uh, you know, I've known him 20 plus years. I'm not sure I could do it exactly right, but it's uh, Nistastolt is the uh, the most German I can get. To, yeah, to yeah. Get yeah, yeah, das ist gut. <laughs> all right, Max. Well, good to meet all you guys. But Chris, I'm glad that I have you here. Maybe we'll have your two buddies on the show later. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Chris, take the wheel. Uh, inspirational quote, wow. Uh, maybe just more of a, a mantra. So for me, you know, I think the, the biggest lesson learned throughout this has been sort of how to own the outcome, if you will. So how to really take responsibility for, for what it is that you're doing, what it is you want to achieve. And, you know, I, I think that's something I, I probably learned the hard way earlier in, in starting young companies, you, you may have the answers right, you may have the answers wrong, but truly it doesn't matter if you're not sort of willing to, to get in there and own what you want to happen on the back end of that. And so one of the earlier businesses when we were selling it, I think we had an opportunity to sell it earlier. That's something I wanted to do. And that's something we ended up not doing. Probably was the wrong decision in hindsight. You know, me being right about that actually had no influence on anything. Mm. And I probably on the back end of, you know, feeling that I was right about decision Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily help anything or really drive the right outcome. And so I think by going through that process and ending up on the wrong side of it, truly learning how to understand your responsibility in the outcome, something that I I feel really strongly about now and something that has really been a a real key portion of how we put together uh, new businesses and Rally Road in particular, making sure that we're taking responsibility for every single thing that we want to happen and owning it. So I feel like that's something that I really try to live by. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful. Well, let's go back in time and talk about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars, because what I love about your story is that you're taking all this business expertise and wrapping it into your passion with cars and creating this new business. I love this. I love the entrepreneur. I love the whole concept. So tell us about a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy. I didn't really have much of a choice. Uh, my grandfather <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather owned a, a mobile uh, fuel station in Brooklyn, so I sort of grew up around cars. I think maybe eight out of ten uncles in my family were mechanics, so it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. The, probably the, the, the first real memory I have with a car is uh, in 1987, my father bought his first E30 BMW. Ooh, yeah. It was a very proud moment for him. I was there for the pickup and I was seven years old. Nice. Um, and taking my car home that day was just something that was really special and enjoyable. And I remember that. Not too many things you can remember when you're a really young person. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that was one of the ones that really stood out. And we still have that car today. 30 years later, wow. it's actually my, my daily driver is that same E30 BMW. No but, way. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not many people can say that. Yeah, that's exactly right. We can find things we like, we hang on to them in this family. So it's a, it's a good thing. I think so. Well, Chris, you've chosen a career path that is fraught with ups and downs and challenges. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Venture capital, starting new businesses, helping people start new businesses, going through all the challenges that that faces. So I'd love for you to share Maybe one big challenge, even a big failure that you face along the way that's taught you a very, very valuable lesson, because that's the best thing about failing or challenges is they teach us things. So take us to that point in time, walk us through it, and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career and your business and your life. Sure. It's an interesting question, and it's one where I feel like maybe I've been very fortunate in this life. 
to not have had, you know, true catastrophes or, or these challenges that I know so many people go through. I think the, you know, this concept with startups is that it's a constant struggle. It's a constant set of sort of changing, changing issues, changing situations, changing emotions, changing personalities, changing groups of people that sort of teaches you that, that everything, you know, it is one big problem, right? And yes. that you have to solve. Yeah. Each of the companies has its own set of its own sort of challenges that you need to get through to keep going and to keep getting to the next level and to keep making it exist and be more meaningful. And so I, you know, I'd say for me, it's just sort of taking those big problems and breaking them into little ones. And that sort of becomes what your expertise is, right? I've always, you know, people ask you what, so what do you really do? And, uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the CFO, right? I'm not the chief marketing officer. I'm, I don't have that level of expertise in those particular things, but I'm like the chief problem solving officer in mm. most of these situations. And I think that's a lot of what early stage entrepreneurship is, figuring out what the big problem is, breaking it up into the right set of problems, and then figuring out solutions, right? Creative ones, calling in favors, making it happen, making people believe, telling the right stories, all of that sort of leads to more and more momentum. It feeds back to you as well. It's that, uh, you know, you, you, when you're looking at it and you see all these problems, you don't know, like, what did you get yourself into? Yes. But then you have that one great conversation somebody who comes to you and says, I love what you're doing and I want to work for you, or I love what you're doing and I want to finance you, or I love what you're doing and I want to partner with you. And those are the things where you say, you know what, the mission's right. The big problem's worth solving. And so you go back and you sort of put in perspective all those little problems that, you know, may build up and feel insurmountable in that way. Yeah, nicely said. You know, I always say this world of entrepreneurship is like a roller coaster ride because there's parts of that ride that are very anticipatory and you're like getting really anxious and you're like wondering and then oh, the bottom drops out and you feel like, oh, I'm going to die. And then it's over and you feel that was exciting. And what's next? And then you go back up the other hill. But the other thing that I think was a value bomb here you dropped for us was something my mom taught me. That is, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And whenever I feel overwhelmed, I think of that old funny saying that she used to tell me and stop and go, okay, what are all the components? And that's exactly what you just said, because man, startups are so complex. There's so many moving pieces. And you mentioned emotion, too. What's what's a way that you help others get through those very emotional things? Because this is a very personal deal for a lot of people. It's their baby, and they, they want to make it work. What's What are some ways that you help folks get through that emotional turmoil? Sure. Uh, I, think that, I, think, I think consistency is the primary one. I think people always respond well to that. And if they have things to latch on to that are always going to be there and always going to be consistent and calm, it tends to alleviate some of the emotion that drives the wrong kind of noise. For me, you know, that's, that's one thing I think I've learned by being on the wrong side of the equation a few too many times, but keeping it calm, keeping the, the big picture in focus for everybody. If that's the one sort of thing you can provide consistently for people, I think it gives them the opportunity to be who they need to be from time to time. Let themselves vent, let themselves, you know, get back centered and understand what the real mission is, what they want out of it. So it's that sort of that consistency and then that empathy for everybody's got their own situation, their own perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listening more than you speak is something that I <laughs> truly, truly believe in. Yes. Somewhere is exactly how I live. And, you know, sometimes in these situations, I, actually, I really dislike actually being the one speaking about a lot of this stuff. But it, it is at least not on that. It's a little bit unnatural for me. But being able to, to do that and understand other people's perspectives, I think it really does help. Uh, you know, create the, the types of teams that really can make this stuff successful. Yeah, nicely said. Empathy, so important, and listening. Another thing my mom used to say, that's why you have two ears and one mouth. 
you listen twice as much as you speak and things will be okay. So <laughs> the, the, the simple stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It usually is. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love to share an aha moment. And maybe this is that aha moment for Rally Road. When this idea came along and you went, hey, I think I've got some. When, when we think about this idea and we speak about it, we actually don't think it's novel. I mean, I think people have been saying, why can't we trade these things like stocks forever? So, you know, I think there's there's been a whole bunch of groups who have tried to address this problem of access to a market and done it in, in different ways, but haven't really quite put all the pieces together the way we have and really set it up in a structure that I think aligns interests the right way, that I think keeps the emotion and the passion behind the behind the product, if you will, alive and deep in the way that it, it sort of uh, presents itself. You know, the aha moment for me was seeing what happened in the venture capital market, really. So I always found it fascinating back when I was in that business that if you wanted to start an early stage company in the United States, you really had to speak to one of a couple of hundred people, really, who would make the decision of whether or not, you know, you had the salt to, to start that business and get the financing you needed. I thought that was fascinating because for all these businesses in all parts of the country, you got to talk to a few hundred people and that's going to make the decision. Yeah, right? scary. And it is. And, and, and it's a little bit unfair in certain ways. But as that started to change, you know, different things popped up, right? Kickstarter happened. And you'd see now people going direct to their customers to get their initial financing that they needed. And that sort of morphed a little bit more. And you saw now equity crowdfunding where people are getting financing from regular, ordinary people for early stage businesses. And so in that transformation, which I think is actually a very good thing, sort of getting people exposure to this type of asset class, the venture business, and getting businesses new ways to, to sort of achieve what they want. There's certain things I didn't like about it. And what uh, the sort of aha moment was the fit between the investor and the investment. And what I mean by that is like in the venture capital business, what you see is very asymmetrical information. The company always knows the most and, you know, your outcomes are basically zero or a hundred, right? <laughs> yes. Most of them zero, a yeah. few of them a hundred. Yeah. And it, it's sort of uh, the reason for the venture capitalist to be there in the middle of that equation is because they know the right questions to ask and they suss out sort of the, the real businesses. They know how to follow that process. There's a, there's a mechanism there for making sure that everything's aligned and protected. What I found different about the collector car business is that information is actually quite symmetrical. Enthusiasm is truly symmetrical. I could show you a 12-year-old that knows more about Ferraris than the guy with 12 of them in his garage. <laughs> yes. You know, I could show you the numbers at uh, Meekum Auctions or at a Barrett-Jackson or at a, the, the Week in Monterey or down in Amelia Island. You've got a few hundred people or maybe a few thousand people who are actually buying stuff. And then you've got a few hundred thousand people who are willing to make their annual pilgrimage to watch the cars sell, to talk about the market, to be around it. Now, if you put it on Discovery Channel or on NBC, you've got 10 million unique viewers who are watching this stuff like Spectator Sport. That's a marketplace where you've got equal flat playing field for passion, equal flat playing field for being able to evaluate and comprehend the investments, and equal flat playing field for being able to be around this stuff. But as soon as you want to actually take the next step and be involved, somebody throws up a velvet rope. And that's what we didn't like. And beyond that, it was just sort of so many missed opportunities along the way, not only for the money involved, but for the pride of ownership, right? For taking a position behind what you believe in and what you understand, for being able to make investments earlier in life when maybe it's not practical to have a five-car garage, right? Yes. You know, so for all, all of those reasons and sort of the, the changing landscape where you see sort of the new millennial investor, I, I say it all the time. 
I'm 37. I'm, I'm not that old, but I feel like anybody over 25 these these days is basically considered old, right? So <laughs> where does that put you know, me, Chris? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's the truth. I, like young people today, they're so much more sophisticated. They're investing earlier. They're taking responsibility for their outcomes earlier, and they're they're they want to be empowered in a way to sort of work together towards getting the things they want for later in life. And I think that what, you know, that translates to the way they're investing in equities and doing it from their phone. It translates to the way they're living and working together in different kinds of ways, right? Yes. And I think it's going to translate more and more into the way they want to experience the collector car business and hopefully other alternative asset classes in the future where there's still a tremendous amount of passion, but the execution needs to match the people, right? And the investment needs to match the people. And so that's really what we've been striving for is sort of to connect that investment that's comprehensible and understandable, to make it accessible, to give people the transparency they need to make good decisions, and then to allow them to you know, allow them to really express themselves and build that dream collection without having 10 million bucks in the bank or more to really do it the right way. Right. So that's, um, that's sort of where we're, uh, we're trying to play. Well, Chris, they picked the right guy to be the spokesman for this company. Uh, very nicely said. You got me all fired up. And it's it's exciting. The whole way you put this whole thing together, the thought concept and the way it works is very much, yes, the way youngsters are. I have two young children, 20, well, not young, 24 and 29. They seem young to me, but they'll always be my kids. But yeah, when I listen to them and how they're investing and what they're doing, and I just shake my head and go, man, if I had these tools when I was their age, oh my gosh, but uh, it's fantastic. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about cars here for a moment and have you share your very first special car. You talked about that E30 you still have that your dad bought when you were seven, I think you said, but is there a car that was the first one that you got that really was special for you? Absolutely. Yes. My only special car and the, the one I still have today is a 1992 Porsche America's Roadster. Oh, you know, it's a car that I, I'm very proud of. I think not, not enough people know about it. I feel like you know, it's a missed the appreciation boat of a few of its peers, even though it is a very rare and I think very special car. Yes. Um, I acquired that with the assistance of some family members and myself and a whole lot of savings pretty early in my life, in my driving career, if you will. Uh-huh. It's been a great investment and, and a great pride of mine to own. So it's uh, triple black, um, about 20,000 miles on it since new, and, uh, and a car that I, I really enjoy and drive a little bit, but consistently. So I, I, I try to keep it like it's a you know real special thing, like an experience that I get to enjoy you know when I can. And <laughs> well, so yeah, it, it works well. You know, to to make it keep it special for yourself as well, it really it really does uh, have that effect on me. So the nine six four. Now I had a ninety one Carrera two that was a really cool car, but your car, yes, that's a really unique car. It's got the turbo flares, uh, cabriolet. Yep. And yep. yeah, a wonderful car, uh, 3.6 liter, if I got my numbers right in my brain here, about 250 Correct. horsepower, somewhere in there. So yeah, cool car, very cool car. And I think you're right. It kind of lingered back in the market for a long time, I think. I, and I don't know why, because I think it had to do with back in the day when that car came out, people went, oh, fakey do turbo. Bleh. Yep. You know, that was the whole thing. But if you really stop and think about it, Aside from the engine, of course, the turbocharged engine, and I've got an 87 930, so I, yep. I I have that, love that deal. But I love the way the turbo body looks on the Porsche. It just looks like a little bulldog, a little squatty thing, just like, ah, you know, so, so nice. So uh, very nicely done. You got a nice, nice car there. That's, that's very <laughs> Thank cool. You. 
How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned, you've let go that you really wish you had back? Like I said, we don't, I mean, when I find things I like, uh, <laughs> you I, just don't, keep I don't, really sell, I don't really sell them. You're but, a smart uh, guy. But I will say, <laughs> I had a, uh, a BMW X5 when it was when it, the first one. Like, literally, I, I think I might have had the first or second one that made it to New York City. Oh, wow. And, and that was kind of a special time. To show up with that, it really was like a, driving a spaceship when everybody else was still in, in bobsleds or something. It was, it was a really cool car that I, I enjoyed having, um, especially at that point in time, even though the, the early designs on those, it used to basically collect water around the windows. So if it ever would go below freezing, your windows would get stuck in the down position pretty often. Uh-oh. You'd have to bring, bring it in to get serviced and have you know, the repair guys put the, the windows back up in the winter. But other than that, I actually, I, I really love that car. I thought it was such a, such a great design and such sort of a, a new class of vehicle that nobody really saw before. That I think fit sort of the lifestyle and, and fit the time really well. So I, I really appreciated that car. So the, and I, I, I do look fondly back on when we had that one. So, so the BMW, good. you said it was X5, right? The SAV, yeah. Sport Activity Vehicle, as they called sport it. Sport Activity Vehicle, yeah, exactly. Back then. Well, you know what? We share something because uh, the first Sport SUV or SAV we ever bought for my wife was that first generation X5. And we got one of the first ones as well out here in the Pacific Northwest. And Absolutely wonderful car. I love that car, and I like mostly small sports cars, but I really like that vehicle, and we liked it so much that we bought another one that we've had now for 14 years. And there you go. It's been a spectacular car. I mean, I just took it in for a service. It looks brand new because of the way I take care of cars, but it's really it's not given us any problems at all. It's just been a really, really good car, so I like those. Yeah, and the next ones that came out after that, I wasn't that fond of the body style. It just kind of lost its appeal for some reason. So nicely done. Well, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what has you excited and fired up this year about Rally Road and all the cool things you're doing. What do they do with this app? How does it work? So I mean, what makes me excited is seeing it all come to fruition. You know, we put about uh, two years into the development of the initial app and really doing all the, the legal and regulatory work to be able to basically sell public stock at retail in cars to people. That was not any, you know, an easy challenge to start with, but it was one we wanted to address because going into this, you know, we said to ourselves, this is something we want. Like if everybody can't do it, it's not the business we want to create. And if there's not that sort of liquidity on the back end where people can get in and out of those shares, it's not something we want to create. So we worked really hard to sort of address those two big problems and seeing that happen now has, has been tremendous. So we, we technically just launched publicly at the end of, of 2017, so only a couple of months ago, and the uptake has been tremendous. We've got three of our initial offerings uh, done already. So we've got our uh, 1985 Ferrari Testarossa, first year Testarossa, 4,400 original miles, perfect provenance, uh, highly, highly original car in a very special Prunia metallic which is, I think, only one of six cars like that. Wow. And it uh, has, of course, the flying mirror of the early, of the early models, which is a, a mistake I really enjoy seeing on cars like that. Uh, so that's one of our recent uh, initial offerings that we've uh, just completed. We did a, a 1969 Boss 302 Mustang, which is a car I absolutely love. We're trying to pick things that are iconic and sort of bridge generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's one of the cars that absolutely does it. And I think that's one of the most underappreciated muscle cars in the marketplace at this point. The way it drives, the handling compared to some of its peers, just the race bred pedigree is something that I think is really special and iconic. Um, plus, you see, you know, young people today driving that car and some of the you know, video games and stuff they oh, play. Yeah. So everybody recognizes it. And, and we love stuff like that, where it's 
uh, iconic and bridges generations. We closed our 1977 Lotus Esprit S1, which is a really cool car. It actually was in the New York Auto Show before. And the gentleman who owned it before uh, we brought it on the platform put a tremendous amount of love into, into bringing the car back to as new spec. It's only got about 10,000 original miles on it. So it's one of the few that I think really made it through the, you know, the neglect that happens with some of those cars. And I think is well positioned to be more and more collectible in the future as people continue to recognize the genius that is Lotus and the way they produce cars. Coming up, we've got our 1955 Porsche Speedster which is one of 193 in Speedster Blue. Mm. So you're a Porsche guy. You know that all the early ones oh. were red, white, or blue. Oh, oh yeah. And, <laughs> and the blue ones are the hardest ones to find, and in my opinion, the most beautiful ones. So we've got a really nice example with the 1500 engine in it, matching numbers, matching panels, matching wheels. Really got a, a lot of originality left in it and a very nice uh, quality restoration. Uh, so that's a car that we're proud to be bringing to the market soon. I and mean, right now we're actually working through our 1988 Lamborghini Yalpa. Um, again, another sort of underappreciated car from the 80s. We've got number 409. They've only made about, uh, about 410 of them. The numbers are a little a little questionable at the end there of how many they really made, but it's one of the last ones off the line, 2,300 original miles, white with a red interior. And so this is, uh, you know, the stuff that we're, we're working on, like a true preservation class type of example. With that, you know, with all of the cars, basically the, you know, the stories are, are what people like and what, what, what we like. So the, the app itself sort of walks you through that story, lets you see all of the information that we used when we decided to make that investment and bring it on the platform. And uh, we actually uh, take a piece of every deal. So we buy between 2 and 10% of every car on the Rally Road platform. Mm, so nice. it aligns incentives. And you know that you know, we're all sort of common shareholders together yes. in the deal, which was very important to us. Like we sort of had, you know, when we were, we were creating the structure, we had to make sure that we answer to ourselves first, right, in the way that our users would end up asking us to answer to them. So that was a big piece of what we wanted to do is, well, how are we going to know that you're going to treat the cars right and care for the cars and make sure that you, you know, buy and sell the right stuff and think about the right things? Because we are investors alongside you in every single one of them. And so that's something that we, we thought was critical to making a platform that would, you know, that would work. Yeah. <laughs> and that would really address the, the problems we're trying to solve. So some common questions I would think that an investor would have or somebody like you say the word Porsche Speedster and I get all lathered up, of course. In fact, I'll open a barn door here. I just had a listener email me this week and say, we have a car. It's a 58 Speedster we've had since 64. Do you know anybody that would be interested? I'm just going (laughs) to leave this right there. But at any rate, I'll move on. So the cars that you have in your portfolio are cars that you physically have. They are going to reside somewhere they're going to live somewhere so as sure. an as an investor um where do they live where do yep. they live and do i have an opportunity to come and pet them or look at them yeah <laughs> absolutely so uh we have a long-term storage facility it's immaculate down in delaware which for tax and legal reasons and all the the because that's where all of our corporate work is done that's where we wanted the home base to be plus you can get a tremendously high level of service and quality down there for very efficient prices. So that's something that is where sort of the collection lives. Um, It's on camera 24-7, and we'll soon publish that camera to the app. So you could check in on your babies all day long if you really wanted to. Nice. On the back end of this, what we believe in is showing the cars, making them accessible to investors and others in general. So we do that in two ways. So the first way is we did our first pop-up shop in New York City 
downtown Soho. Uh, we rented a, a garage down there. We put a few of the cars in, in, uh, in the, uh, you know, in the garage, sort of in like this gallery space. And we opened up the door and we let people come and see them and enjoy them. People could invest on the spot, take home some merchandise, enjoy it. We brought in some sponsors who helped us sort of operate the event. And the dollars that come from those types of events end up paying the, the bill for maintenance and storage mm-hmm. um, and all the, the insurance and everything that it takes to maintain a collection like this. Right. Um, if there are profits generated from doing such things, like selling sweatshirts around the Ferrari Testarossa or the Porsche Speedster, that's money that goes into the car's bank account pays for itself. And if there's profits, that ultimately could be distributed as dividends and management fee to us uh, and the investors in those cars. Nice. So that was a big piece of it. The other thing we're doing is we've, we're developing nice partnerships. Mecham Auctions in particular has been you know, truly mentors to us and truly kind to us. So we show up at a bunch of their auctions where the people are already going. They've got a huge footprint. They are great event throwers. So we show up there with one or two of our cars. It gives us an opportunity to have a much bigger footprint today than we would have otherwise. But the future, we hope to see, you know, Radley Road stores popping up uh, in major markets across the country and then across the globe, where uh, it's a place for people to see their investments, interact, learn, make investments and enjoy sort of this car culture the way we the way we'd all want to Um, and the way the the way we wish we could do more of. um, But, you know. Yeah, All right. So that's, cool. the, uh, that, that's the mission. Ah, it's awesome. I love it. Very, very intriguing idea. And of course, I'll put a link to your website on Chris's show notes page here on Cars yeah, so that you can go if you want to learn more, you can contact them and reach out and uh, you too can be an investor in a very high end collectible car that maybe you couldn't do on your own, but you can have a little piece of that in the future. Very cool idea. Here's a very introspective question for you, Chris. If you were a vehicle, what would you be and why? <laughs> Interesting. Um, so here's here's what I'll go with. I would go with a Subaru WRX uh, hatchback. Oh, and why is um, that? <laughs> it's a car we a car we had in the family along the way, and it's uh. one that I actually really loved. I think it's I think it's subtle. I think it's understated. Super practical. But if you sort of you know get those turbos spooled up, it it actually can can perform quite well and and hang with most most great cars out there. There you go. And so I, you know I I don't know if that's overselling it, but I, I like to think that about myself. You know we're understated here. We're we're humble. We try to do things right. And but uh, but I think we can do a lot of great things. So Nicely that's, uh, said. that's that's one I'd like to align with. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Well, Chris, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, this is Mark Green. I've been using Covercraft covers to protect my cars and motorcycles since I was in high school, way back in 1975. But Covercraft has much more to offer than just vehicle covers. This time of year is very hard on your vehicle's interiors. Rain, snow, dirt. And mud gets into the carpet and the seats, grinding away and destroying the original materials. It's important to preserve and protect your special ride with cover craft floor mats and seat covers. That's what I do. They offer a wide variety of styles, colors, and materials, all designed to fit like a glove. They're easy to install and provide for anchor points and airbags for safety and a perfect fit. Protecting your vehicle adds value when you go to sell it, too. Simply go to Covercraft.com and order the style and color you like best, and boom, you're set. You'll thank me, and your vehicle will thank you as well. That's Covercraft.com, and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars 
with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Chris, we are back, and we're entering what I call the last lap, kind of the lightning round. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I would say uh, Elliot Cucker from uh, Cooper Classics in New York City. We pitched him on the business in the early days. He told us one thing as a parting gift, which was don't ever compromise on your standards of cars. And that is something we hold very dear and very true to. Uh, so I thought that was really smart advice. And if you buy great stuff, it'll never go. It'll 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 never hurt you. That's, Ab- that's what we believe. Absolutely. Now, could you share one of your many personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success along the way? <laughs> you, know, you call it a habit, or maybe a, you know a, a problem. Or <laughs> but I, I'm, I've uh, I, I'm certainly on the on the neat freak end of the of the spectrum. Uh, you know, things being out of place definitely caused me a lot of anxiety. I've used that as a as a gift and a curse, if you will. But it definitely is something that uh, that keeps me stable and, and think has helped. Uh, help build good businesses, being organized and keeping things in the right place. I'm afflicted with that same uh, personality trait. Drives my wife crazy, but uh, yeah, everything <laughs> has to be aligned and perfect for me, especially in my garage. Now about a resource. Uh, obviously, your company, uh, Rally Road, is a great resource, but is there another resource you'd like to share with our listeners that you enjoy? Uh, yeah, actually, one of, our, one of our new investors, Howard Linsden, uh, has a fantastic blog about investing. We are big followers in the in the company. Uh, all of the all of the young people we read it religiously. Um, he's got a great perspective and great outlook on markets, on life. Um, he's been a great inspiration for us. So I definitely send people to his blog. Awesome. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, great comedian. <laughs> great comedian, great actor, prolific Porsche collector. Yep, uh, big fan as well as I'd love to. I'd love to see that mythical townhouse full of Porsches in New York City that <laughs> yeah. that claims to be, exist somewhere, somewhere hidden uh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I haven't yet found it, but I'm I'm looking. So we'll see. Yeah, aren't we all? Yeah, I'd love to have him be a guest on the show. He's a hard guy to nail down, though. But uh, maybe one day, maybe one day. I just know you're never supposed to ask him about Seinfeld TV. You're just supposed to talk cars, and he'll he'll talk your ear off. So. Uh, Jerry, if you're listening, I promise I won't ask you about the TV show. Now about a book, Chris. Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy? There's a book called The Power of One, uh, Bryce uh, Courtenay. Yes. One that uh, I think is pretty popular. Probably a lot of people know of it already. Brilliant. Like really, really impactful, emotional, great story. You know, that's uh, something I learned from and enjoyed tremendously. Yeah, great book. Well, listeners, you can find all these great resources Chris has shared on his Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com. Type in Chris. Bruno, B-R-U-N-O, and that will be right there. There's another great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where I put all my past 990 Guest Now book references there. 
quick, easy clicks to buy takes you right to Amazon. Really a nice resource of a lot of very cool reading material from my many inspiring automotive enthusiasts. All right, we are up to the checkered flag. This is a fun one, Chris, and it can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to make you get rid of all your collector cars. I'm sorry, the Porsche is going to have to go. But I'm going to buy you any, any cool car on the planet. Money is no object here today, but I want you to drive it and enjoy it. No garage queens here at Cars Yeah. So what's it going to be? Uh, well, it's going to be another Porsche. Uh, <laughs> it just has to be that way. So I apologize. That's but, okay. Um, I love Porsches. <laughs> I would say a, a 94 Turbo 3.6 flat nose. Oh. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the one that really got me early on. It's one I followed my whole career. It's actually the one that, it's the one that got away from me. Uh, when, I was, when I was a bit younger, I looked at, at purchasing one, walked away from that deal over the practicality of it. And a lot of the reasons why we started Rally Road come from not doing that deal. It's a car that I've always loved. It's just so special and sort of, you know, the best of what the, the guys in the back room at Porsche could put together. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little bit Frankenstein, but incredibly cool. Just sort of, if you have a, a lineage of Porsche, which I love is the simplicity of that design language. I think 1964 was their first 911 up to 1994, 30 years of, of basically the same car. That is, in my opinion, the best of the best. So that would be, uh, that would be the one I would like to keep forever. Well, and as your buddy Max would say in his fine German language, Flockbau, the flat nose, uh, <laughs> exactly. of course, yeah, that 3.6 turbo, yeah, what a monster car, what a wonderful car, and very unique car. Um, I have a feeling there'll be one in your garage again someday. There's enough of those made that the one's going to pop up one of these days, and that's going to be the perfect timing for you. But yeah, we all have those cars that we missed, uh, I understand, but uh, what color would you like yours to be? Is that another black one? I think it is actually. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it would be black. You're a brave um, guy. I just I can't yeah. do black. I'm so I mean I'm fun. I'm surprised you say that because being a, a neat freak, clean guy like I am, black cars <laughs> are so hard to keep clean. They they drive you crazy. Well, when, when I find it, I'm going to come to you for the check. Oh, so we'll, okay. Uh, we'll, we, we could have some influence on the color if you pay for it. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll take you up on that. Sounds nice. <laughs> well, Chris, you've taken us on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and Rally Road. Uh, what a wonderful concept. Cool idea. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars yeah audience. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the New York countryside in that uh, Turbo 3.6 <laughs> flocked bow? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. For, for, for anybody thinking about, about doing early stage businesses, get, get, uh, get great partners like I did. They'll keep you sane. They'll make it more fun. They'll have great ideas and compliment you and be happy when you're not and be passionate <laughs> when you're feeling different. Yeah. And that, I think, is, is probably the biggest gift of doing this is putting something together with people you care about and, and doing some good things out there. So I uh, definitely encourage everybody to, to have the right partners and to, to bring them in and do it well. Great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Rally Road? On the website, uh, com, And certainly follow us on social media, uh, Instagram on Rally Road, Medium on Rally Road. So those are our uh, main spots where we publish a bunch of uh, the new cars we've got coming out, some of our journeys and what we're up to. We love to share. So uh, we definitely uh, appreciate the support. Absolutely. And again, listeners, I'll put all these links on Chris's show notes page on the Cars Yow website. Just type Chris Bruno in the search bar there. The page will pop up. I would encourage you to check this out. This is really cool. This is really unique. Wonderful opportunity to get involved in the collector car market in a little way or in a big way. 
Uh, but to be involved and have a piece of it, uh, very, very cool idea. Chris, thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars yeah! audience. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. You're welcome. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!